This is Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication on the No Direction Network. Danielle, Denise, and Ben interview tabletop designers on the games they've made. Together, they unbox how a game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Denise, and Danielle for Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication, episode 19, Kitty Cataclysm. Today, we are joined by Bez Shahriyohi, designer of Yogi, Wibble++, Kitty Cataclysm, and developer for many Alley Cat games. Hi, Bez. So excited to have you here today. Could you tell our listeners a little about yourself and how you got into the game design community? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, well, I do all sorts of things. I just love games. I've done a whole bunch of streaming since last year. For a whole while, I was doing a daily episode literally every morning UK time. So it was a terrible time for US folk, which kind <laughs> of meant that I didn't get so many people at 10 a.m. or 5 a.m. Eastern. But I had so many amazing interviews with people and I just love chatting about games. I love playing games. I love pondering games. Um, I got into games originally when my siblings loaded up a ZX Spectrum, which is a really old computer back in the day. And it's loaded up literally from a tape cassette. It made these weird noises. And then the games weren't that great, but they sparked my imagination. And it was just like, wow, imagine everything that could be done. I think that's also because I am, I've not been diagnosed or anything, but I am probably a little bit on the autistic spectrum. So having these clear constraints, being in a space where, okay, this, these are the rules, this is what you're trying to do, having that clarity, I think really attracts me to puzzles, board games, video games, that sort of thing. And then I always wanted to be a video game designer back when, I, even before I was 10, I was just coding my own stuff. And then eventually I fell more in love with board games because it was like, wow, people are doing these amazing board game things. And then eventually it was Playtest UK in London that allowed me to get my games in front of people like, you know, Matthew Dunstan and Brett Gilbert became not quite mentors, but just playtesting games alongside these people and having these regular playtest meetings and being able to say, yeah, finally, I'm not imposing my game on other people. There's already a proper playtest meetup and I'm able to share these things. So that's pretty much how I got started in this whole game design journey. And I'm really, really blessed that since I think it's 2015, I've not had to do any work that isn't in the game industry. So I've done a lot of stuff. I've done a lot of stuff, some of which it's not my favorite stuff to do, but it's all with the vision of creating games. So I am incredibly fortunate now, basically because my first game, which you mentioned, Yogi, previously called In a Bind, and it's just blew up and became a great big thing. That's so amazing that you've been able to do that for this many years, like being in the industry you love. Yeah, thank you very much. I and I keep <laughs> I there's a little bit of fear, do you know what I mean? There's a little bit of fear like, oh my gosh, everything's going to dry up and I'm not going to get royalties or work anymore and then I'm not I'm going to have to go back to working in supermarkets or something. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. But um 
no, every day, like, I am so, so blessed. Well, let's get to, well, the spotlight of this episode, Kitty Cataclysm. What inspired you to design that game? Well, originally, (laughs) it started off in 2013, and there was someone called Danish Frank at um, Playtest UK. And so this person called Danish Frank made a game based around Flux, which a lot of people might know. And the key thing with their game, which was called Unfair, completely unrelated to the actually published game called Unfair, was that you played the game at the end. If you ran out of the deck, then the number of cards that you had in your personal discard pile would be your score. And I kind of like Flux. I mean, I don't mind the chaos. I like what it's trying to do. I like sometimes seeing new combinations of things. But I do find that sometimes, um, for my tastes, it goes on a little bit too long. And I understand other people aren't too bothered about ending a game early. I was speaking to a friend who said, oh, yeah, I love Monopoly. And after an hour, yeah, we'll finish it. It doesn't matter that we don't know who wins. But for me, I feel like I personally want a game to force itself to an end, if you know what I mean. And so I just really like that design decision of personal score piles, personal discards, and that I wanted to just explore that. That was the original inspiration, but it completely yeah. mutated after that. I love the mutation. <laughs> yeah. Could you share a bit more about the changes then over the course of playtesting and developing? Mm-mm. Absolutely. Like the first time that I ever played it, it was a complicated, ridiculous mess And cards were saying things like, okay, do this card, steal this many cards from this player. And and the cards were giving you like, I don't know, seven points or saying things like, okay, this is a permanent effect. And every turn you get extra cards and you had some permanent cards, some one-time cards, some cards that forced other people to do things, some cards that played with the turn order. And it was fine. But that game only got played once because that game actually got turned into Yu-Gi-Oh! in a bind because there was one card in that that was something like stand up if you ever sit down you need to give this card to someone else whoever has this card at the end of the game gets 10 points and then a friend said oh you probably want to make a physical game if you really want to make a physical game just do that and then that went on completely on its own direction and became in a bind slash yogi and it wasn't until three years later that in a bind had just been signed and i was thinking you know i went down the physical direction but what if i was to go the other direction and in the intervening three years i'd kind of learned that yeah you don't need that amount of complexity especially in a game that's meant to be a bit silly, a bit chaotic. You don't want to be reading so much text on every single card. And so I approached it again in 2016. I was thinking, okay, how can I make it the simplest version it can be? And what I'm really proud of is that, I know this sounds like a really small thing, but it's not play a card, do what it says, draw a card. There is no draw step. You don't ever draw a card. So it's literally just play a card, do what it says. But a whole bunch of cards let you draw cards. And that means that you can do things like, okay, 
steal two cards and it's not super overpowered because you don't get to draw something as well or you know things like that there was a bit of the game that was originally meant to punish you based on how many cards you have in your hand so if you had too few cards you could play this other card and it was like anyone with four cards in their hand or fewer has to take a punishing effect anyone who has six or more cards has a punishing effect so you kind of had to keep yourself at five cards was the strategy of the game and then it became obvious that when you have few cards you're kind of punished anyway because someone could steal them from you and put you out of the game someone could um take those yeah you've just got fewer options if you've only got two or three cards in your hand so you don't need an extra punishment and so it became simpler and simpler until it was basically okay what can i do here it's steal cards take them from other people okay that's obvious yeah some cards let you draw that's obvious okay some of the cards are punishing other people for having too many cards in hand that makes sense okay and then to donate which okay you pick which cards in your hands you want to give away and obviously you're going to give away the worst cards every card has a value on the top and originally, again, these values used to range from, I think, something like negative five up to positive 10, even when I restarted it in 2016. But then very quickly, even halving that, it was like, whoa, there's still a bit of maths at the end. And so now it's just one point, two points, a couple of cards with three points, and then a whole bunch of zeros, so you don't even have to add up. And then a few super powerful things with minus one. So when you play them into your own personal kitty, then they get they have a little bit of punishment. But you've got that, okay, I want to put it at the right time and get my claws out. And yeah, like a cataclysm where everyone with seven or more cards loses all those cards. And that's what can end the game because... Again, I didn't want to have player elimination. So as soon as someone gets out of the game, I saw someone once someone needs to play a card, but they cannot, that's the end. They probably won't win because you add up everything in your paws as well as everything you've put into your kitty. But there's still a wee bit of a chance depending on how stuff goes. And yeah, the final really major thing that started off the whole thing was the idea of marked cards and originally there were these marked cards which were meant to give a little bit of information give it a little bit of tension and someone says oh my gosh that person has a super powerful card you don't know what it is some of the marked cards were the best cards in the game sometimes there was a marked card that wasn't actually the best card in the game so i think like maybe there were seven of them that were marked and five of them were really good and two of them weren't so good just to keep you guessing a little bit until someone said, hey, I would actually prefer it if this card was more of a surprise that I could just play it and hurt everyone else without them being warned. And then I decided to revel in the take that nature of the game because yes, you can get really hurt, but... The entire game, it normally takes, I don't know, about five minutes to play. Sometimes even it can be ridiculous and take like three minutes if you have the perfect starting cards or if things go wrong for someone. But then it's just, okay, you're out of the game. Someone wins and starts it up again. 
and that delight and drama of, oh my gosh, this came out of nowhere. It felt a bit more exciting than the excitement of, oh my gosh, this person's got this card. I should try and steal it from them and target them. I love the way you um, were constantly taking into account the player experience through play testing. I feel like with games like this, it it can feel at times punishing or it can feel like worth any take back mm-hmm. kind of game, right? And so to like have the line, like to walk that line and balance of how do I make sure they're having a really good time, even as they're also like <laughs> could lose um, really quickly. And I, I think that's a really hard balance to make, but it's, uh, it's so amazing how playtesting gives all of that feedback and allows to make mm-hmm. those choices along the way. And I even think I love that um, the duration is shorter because that I found that that makes it so much easier. And it like gives you this like rush, like emotional, like, <laughs> you know, cataclysm. Right. And then you're like, yeah, let's play that again. So you end up playing like, you know, two to three, four times in a row. And it's really fun, but you don't feel like even if you lose, it's just like, oh, okay, let's play again. Let's, let's go see if we can do it again. And that moment is really fun. And if you have that great balance, um, like in uh, like in this game, I just think that is such a cool experience to bring um, to players. So love hearing how that playtesting experience changed it. Thank you. And I'm really glad to hear that you've been enjoying it yourself. I mean, I don't know if it's so much balancing it as just realizing, hey, I should really just lean into it as much as possible. Because I was playtesting it once with Mike Nod, who did code, um, you know, the line between development and design is a blurry line. Let's call Mike Nod a developer on Dice Hospital. But I was playing it with Mike, and Mike got a bit upset because one of the cards came out of nowhere and I thought okay do I lean into this do I shrink back a little bit of from this and what on the back of the box now it says this game is really mean it kind of warns you so yeah on the back of the box it says you're going to be mean it's actually says uh hold on let me get I do apologize let me get to box um Okay, so yeah, the game says on the back of it, this game is chaotic, you can be a dick to your friends and family. And so it kind of says that up front. Now, I'm kind of uncomfortable now with that wording, both because someone made a point that it's kind of weird that we talk about genitals and it's kind of, yeah, not great... Also socially problematic if people are feeling dysphoria for particular gendered body parts to be associated so negatively, but also it's just, it wasn't needed. I just think it could have said, get your claws out, be mean to your friends and family, and that would have just been a bit more family friendly, because it is a family friendly game. and. I don't know how many people decided that they weren't going to buy it because of that one word. And there is a pun in the cards where it says cat's ass trophy. And I know that I got feedback from after publication 
from some school teachers who said, oh yeah, the kids love that pun, they find it hilarious, but some of the parents are a bit unsure about it. And I probably wouldn't change that card if I reprinted it, but I definitely would change the back of the box. Anyway, the point is, I think just leaning into that and trying to make sure that it's as short as possible, because, yeah, when it's super short, you just can't mind being ganged up on as long as it's not every game over an hour long. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, and that's great learning. My goodness. I love um, hearing game designers take the feedback and really think about accessibility and inclusion in their game. So great. It sounds like great learning um, from the mm-hmm. feedback you've gotten. And then at what point in time did you end up adding in the cat theme? Because it seems very much like you were more on the mechanics and how it played. Oh, I'd yeah, 100%. Like, was it just the pun? Yeah, yes, honestly, it was. I mean, I do like cats. I like, um, okay, I've never had any pets other than a goldfish. I have actually taken care of neighbors' cats, even when I was quite small. I did some house-sitting for people, and recently now I'm house-sitting over at our neighbor whenever they go away. And so I, if I had to say which animals I prefer, I'm slightly more a cat person, but that's all. I, it wouldn't be fair for me to have animals in my house. Anyway, all of that aside, yes, it was very much inspired by just, I want this chaotic game, I want it to be short. That was my design goal. But then it was when I was playing it with an old friend, Lynn Parker in Dundee, and Lynn said, oh, this is fun. You've This could be about cats. Why not? You've got your stealing, that could be like a fat cat. You've got you're giving away that could be positive. And um, I think Lynn was thinking that it could be like free symbols for the stealing and for the donations and for the drawing cards. And then I went home um, a couple of days later because I was staying with my friends, Lynn and Danny. And then when I got home, I started pondering all the possible puns, like all the possible puns, I should say. And um, it's just fantastic. I was furiously going through the internet and trying to find the perfect things. And I'm quite proud of stuff like Katana, which was, okay, originally it was just a cat wielding a katana until... I'd drawn this so many times because each time I drew out a prototype, I would do a very quick doodle of the things. So I realized, hey, wait a minute. It also sounds a bit like Cat Anna. And so it could be Anna from Frozen. And well, I guess I can't say that for legal purposes, but you know, um, (laughs) it might pass, it might bear a resemblance to the outfits. And there's like now a sort of, okay, the draw one is the fat cat. The draw two is the fatter cats. The um, draw three is the fattest cats. And then you've got the catsy pill, which is literally a pill, the cats are pillar, and the catsy pillist. And it's um, just these cat. Once you start thinking of it, yes, so much can be woven in. And I was just really enjoying all the punning and had so much fun. And it, 
even kind of inspired a little bit of the card distribution, the way that certain things grow, if you know what I mean. So the superlative is always the most powerful version of an effect. And then you've got the cat burglar. No, you've got the cat burglar, and then you've got the cat burglar, and then you've got the cat burglist. And the cat burglist is not only does it let you steal, but it also lets you play again, which is just amazing in this game or it can be terrible but yeah it's certainly the most game-changing effect that's great and i love all the puns i think (laughs) it just makes you laugh so i that's always awesome so you've shared a bit about all the changes to the game through playtesting but i'd love to hear about what playtesting looked like did you go to cons you've mentioned a few people that you were play testing with um mm-hmm. how did you get this in front of people and uh what did those groups look like in that whole process well back at the time i mean it's kind of restarting now because so right now we're recording on and sorry if this is too much of a peek behind the scenes i think it's the fourth or no fifth of july and so in the uk we are just kind of starting to reopen after covid if you know what i mean royal festival hall back in the day it was open from like 10 o'clock until sometime in the evening every single day and it's a big six floor building where people can go in and use it for free and we had a daytime playtest, which is where I did most of my stuff. The rules were you go along and try to get there at 10 if you can. Everyone's going to have a bit of a chat. We'll get to know each other. If there's a game that someone wants to chat about, maybe we can, but playtesting properly starts at 11. And then at 11, we divide into maybe two or three groups people would pitch their games and then divide into groups and then everyone would have an hour and a half so 11 until 12 30 then we'd have half an hour break then one until 2 30 then half an hour break and then three until 4 30 and that way if you come as long as you are playtesting a couple of other people's things then you can have a playtest with two other people and you get an hour and a half to do whatever you want for some people that might mean that they play two turns of a game because it's this big massive thing that they're still trying to work out for me at the start like i might be playing this and then playing a whole bunch of other things quite often i'd be playing like four things all at once or even sharing a slot but towards the end of development it was very much a okay here are some people who've already played it i just want you to play it 10 times in this 90 minutes and we would play it 10 times and then i would ask people how they felt about the exact values of things or if certain cards were too powerful one interesting thing is that because it's a simpler game it is easier to play with people i can go to a pub and just be sharing it with people if i say hey this is a 10 minute game would you like to try it that's going to be a lot easier than hey this is a maybe an hour maybe two hour game would you like to try it people if it's up to 15 minutes i think most people say yeah sure let's go for it when i'm going to meet friends it's not such an imposition to say hey yeah we're meeting to chat we're meeting to do other things but let's try this big game and well this little game (laughs) this tiny little thing and it's not going to take over the day or anything 
you can literally go up to strangers if you are extroverted, which I can be on a sunny day in the park and just say, hey, this is a game I'm working on. Would you be willing to try it? And I did go to conventions and it was actually at UK Games Expo. um, I'm trying to remember um, 2017. UK Games Expo 2017, that was the final big change that I removed the marked card based on feedback. And when I did that, a few of the regular playtesters, well, just one really, Kieran Symington, was disappointed and said, oh, I really like the marked cards. And I kind of did too, but it just wasn't the right fit for this game. And I... Yeah, I would love to bring something else into another game where it's just focused around this one thing of chasing this one marked card, which is just going to end the game. And potentially that could be just the entire game trying to go a bit more mass market. But for this, I feel like being able to play it repeatedly over and over again, getting to the stage where the same people had played maybe 40, 50 times. And then I went to, um, Alan Paul is a designer who's been designing for decades now and has been almost like a mentor in a lot of ways. They originally did this tabletop game redesign contest, which I entered and that's how we got to know each other. And then Alan said, oh, by the way, we do this designer-only meetup a couple of times a year, and we're going to invite you. It says invite-only. And this is then basically Alan and Charlie, who both love games, who are both making games. And Charlie, she's just lovely, um, will cook an amazing meal. And then Alan and Charlie will both play all sorts of things, and people will bring things. And yeah, when you can say, okay, let's play test this with play a few times. And then I had um, people who are so good at balancing games like Ian Vincent, Sebastian Bleasdale and Richard Breeze and having people like that looking at it from a, yes, this is chaotic, but I still want it to be somewhat feel like it's balanced and feel like anything could happen. But over the course of a whole bunch of games, um, it feels fair. I think that's the fundamental thing. It doesn't really matter if things are equally powerful and things are always going to be more situational. Something which allows you to steal is going to be terrible if you've got too many cards. Something that allows you to draw is going ditto, whereas something that allows you to donate, Everything is situational. So working out how much each card should be worth when it goes into your personal kitty, that was really hard. But trying to aim for that level of fairness and having people play it over and over again and starting to understand that, yes, theory crafting isn't everything, but at a certain point, because of the random nature, you're almost better off doing that theory crafting rather than just playing games and tweaking numbers based on what happened within a single game. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense. And honestly, like 
that many iterations. It sounds like you had this game for quite some time that you were working on it. But <laughs> when you get to the point of publication, I know you had run a Kickstarter. Would you mind going into that a little bit more? And I also wanted to note your Kickstarter video. I loved it because it <laughs> felt like almost like an honest documentary style. Like you, you straight up told people, this is what this game is. If you don't like take that, like don't buy this game. <laughs> and I'm like, most Kickstarters are not that transparent. So kudos to that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's really important to me that people... It's important to me that people buy my games and then play them and enjoy them. I would love to have people randomly giving me money, like if people just want to be some sort of patron or like just randomly give me money, I'm not going to say no. But I ideally want people to also be enjoying these games. I want people to understand that this is not like the previous games I made. It's, it is quite take that say, and I don't want people thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be a light, friendly, um, but sometimes you get typecast, I don't know, and maybe I felt like I was in danger of being typecast because I had had a couple of people who played it and said, yeah, I really enjoyed In a Bind, but I don't like this, and that's fair, and not everyone has to like it. I think also it's good for your board game geek page because if let's say i got 100 people just to make the math simpler and 50 of them accidentally bought it thinking that it was going to be a light fluffy game about cats rather than a vicious mean game about cats then those 50 people to give me bad ratings and that's not going to be great for me whereas this way sure. i get people actually sharing it and saying yeah we enjoyed it this is what it's about and I've had people, you know, asking for it to the point where now it's basically sold out. And I would love to do a second edition. But going back, you talked asked about the Kickstarter. Yes, I had done previous Kickstarters. It was, I think, the... So I'd done one just earlier that same year in 2018 for Wibble++, as it was then called. Now... I'm changing the name to that game system to the LDEC. And I just funded on the very final couple of hours, I want to say, of this 28-day campaign. Oh, wow. And it was so exhausting, so mentally strenuous, that when it came time to do Kitty Cataclysm, I was like, okay, I'm going to set the goal at one and a half thousand because, yeah, it's going to cost me two and a half thousand even to do the printing and a bit more money to do the shipping. But as long as I get this much money, I will definitely do it. And I think that's the important thing. Like, if you make your funding goal, you should be prepared to do it, for sure. But I ha I was lucky at this point. Again, I'd started getting some royalties based on Yogi, and I thought, okay, I can afford to put one and a half hours, and if I need to, of my own money, because I believe in this game. And... In the end, it did overfund, which was really great. And I did that. And in retrospect, there's so much I should have done. Like, I should have had final artwork. I didn't. I just had the artwork of the prototype. I should have, I don't know, taken more time to send it to more reviewers. And I really didn't do enough of that. I should have. And going forwards at this point, I do kind of realize that Kickstarter is continuing to change and people demand to see more and more. And I don't think you need to have necessarily a marketing budget 
or very much. I think that maybe one hundred pounds or um that's great British pounds, so maybe one hundred and fifty dollars. I think that can be enough. And I'm thinking just get a few prints on demand versions made for a kick for a card game and then send it around to a few people. But you do need to have that final artwork done if you want to persuade strangers. Because I did I think in a way it worked out well because during the Kickstarter, immediately about within about a month or so, I had a close friend, um Cherry, who unfortunately passed away. I am kind of um I have been diagnosed with depression. I was on sertraline ages ago and then I stopped taking it because of other issues with taking drugs, even prescribed drugs. There are other issues like side effects and whatnot. But it did, like, I just wasn't able to do very much in terms of progressing it and doing getting the final artwork done. I thought, hey, I'll do the final artwork, I'll get it done, it'll be a couple of months, it's no problem. And Instead, it became this thing that was weighing over me that I felt, oh, I've gotten this money. I need to do this. And yeah, it was about a year later that I finally finished off. And it was partially thanks to yeah, someone, Denim, who I hired after they were volunteering. And I was thinking, yeah, I would really like someone to just come in as an intern and even just having someone to help me scan in things even though I can do it myself, just someone having someone there to do that made me more motivated to do the artwork. Having someone to talk through things because Denim understood board gaming, so I was able to talk through the issues that I was having. And they were like a sort of paid assistant and until they had to stop because they are an actor. And so, yeah, that made them a bit unreliable and they started picking up more work which was great for them but yeah they kind of did a bit of the final putting together of things and whatnot and I definitely wouldn't have finished these two games which delivered at exactly the same time because I was planning always planning on manufacturing them together I couldn't have done that without that little bit of help And the truth is, I know that this might sound really mean-spirited, but I see people who say, oh, we don't have a big team. We only have two of us or three of us. And I think, you don't know how lucky you are to have someone that you can talk over stuff with and some being able to talk through your issues, to talk through your problems or talk through your design, keep each other motivated. Because at least for me, having someone else involved in the process does make life easier for me 100%. Oh, I believe it. I always like the team atmosphere and just having people to bounce ideas off of. It's Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. And I love too, just like the peek behind the curtain of there's life is just happening and there's so much going on for us um, (laughs) personally, right? Even behind, uh, our professional selves. And so I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind with a lot of Kickstarters because I see so much, um, I have seen so many uh, 
you know, there's just can be frustration mm. on how long it takes. And folks can be pretty like, just go all in on people. And I'm like, well, but there could be things happening. Um, folks mm. are trying to do this uh, either solo, like for you and, and figuring that out, um, why life is happening. And I think especially this year, hopefully that's like opened up more um, empathy for folks and just understanding that it is a process and um, like no one ever doesn't want to get a game in front of people <laughs> like they really do. Um, and I, I just think that's, I think that's a really good um, insight about just that, that, that yeah, whole fingers crossed. Yeah. I mean, fingers crossed people can gain that empathy and understanding because once you've done the Kickstarter, of course you want to get it out to people. There's nothing more than that I would love compared to, and maybe I will run a Kickstarter the way it's kind of turned out, where it's okay, here are all the final artwork, and I've even done the box arts and everything's done now i just need money for the printing and it's just to decide how many i am going to print and there's some going to be something nice about that where i've fingers crossed it might be a little less strenuous but when you've got something hanging over you for such a long time that's not because you're being lazy it's i mean you've got to do that stuff anyway do you know what i mean if right. you don't do it now, you know that it's going to be something you have to do. And I think that I was fortunate that for Kitty Cataclysm, for the LDEC, also for Categoric, like all my Kickstarters up until this point, where I have very, I've almost never had final artwork showing. It's just been prototype stuff to say, this is roughly what it might look like. Just trust me, it will look a little bit better than this. And that's not going to attract people who've never heard of me. It's not going to attract people who have no faith in me. Those kinds of people will be like, oh, who is this crazy person who doesn't even have the final artwork to show? This doesn't look good. I'm not going to back it. But then for people who do back it, then hopefully they'll be pleasant. They'll enjoy the final art. Um maybe and also because of the way it's gone especially last year when again a kickstarter i was hoping to deliver it um january 2021 and i think it was november or something i said to everyone hey look just things are messing up crazy times brexit um but I know this is deviating from kitty cataclysm but the point remains that i kind of had empathy because a lot of the people knew of me and they had come to understand who I am because I am open on my Kickstarter updates. Sometimes I wonder if I'm being too open. I don't want to make people uncomfortable. I don't want people to, I definitely don't want people to think, oh, Bez is in a bad spot and I have to help Bez. I don't want people to feel pity as such, but I do want people to understand that sometimes not everything's going perfectly and hey this is the reason or hey things have been messing up and i think that i kind of feel like that's the best way sometimes i do i'm not even able to write 
an update and then I kind of come back and I say, hey, this is what's been going on and people understand, which is just fantastic. And I think that's because I've tried to explain from the start, this is who I am, this is where I'm coming from, and this is what you're hopefully going to get. That's great. Well, and it, I think that speaks to Danielle's point earlier about the documentary style video. Folks know what they're getting. <laughs> and so it's, they know the the kind of designer you are and your approach. So I, I think folks probably just appreciate the, the frankness of that. And the folks who like it are going to be down for that, right? <laughs> uh, so um, how long, you, you shared earlier that you got started around with this game in 2013. How long in total do you think it took to go from inspiration of the game to all the way to publication like it's in folks' hands? Um, well, it was 2019. It was, I think I had some copies that I was giving out at UK Games Expo. So it was quarter one, um, 2019. But having said that, from 2013 to 2016, I wasn't really doing anything with it. It was just, oh, that's a nice idea. I left it on the side. Now I've gone off and done this completely different game. It was three years of it being off in the distance. And in 2016, okay, I'm coming back. Now I've learned a little bit more about design. Now I'm going to try and simplify it. I'm going to try and streamline it. I'm going to try and make it what I wanted it to be and not feel like I have to put every single idea. Because I think if you're a first time designer, it can be really tempting to feel, I want to show people that I'm so creative. Look at all these card effects I've got. And then you end up with like 55 completely different cards, which is interesting if you can be bothered to read all those cards, but it can be just too much. It can be fatiguing. You can't internalize things, so you can't actually think that strategically anymore. And so actually simplifying things can make it a more strategic or at least tactical game, if you know what I mean. And so it was, I would say, from 2016, in terms of active development, it was um, one year and a half of active design and development and then one year and a half of, yeah, personal troubles and getting the files done, getting the arts done, and then a month or so of manufacturing and getting it shipped over because I manufactured it in Poland, which to get it shipped over from there was so fast compared to if I'd been doing it in China, obviously. Not to mention the environmental impact. And now that people do have your game, how do you think it's doing? I think I think that people are enjoying it. I, It's weird. You don't get that many people who just contact you. I mean, look, my first ever game, Yogi, like formerly in a bind, I occasionally, like maybe once every couple of months, I read a message or I see someone saying, hey, I enjoyed this, and recently I put up something where I thought it was a Russian spammer on Instagram, and then I saw, oh, actually they've sent me a picture of them playing my game. But that's a game that sold like hundreds of thousands of copies, and so if that, I'm getting maybe one message every couple of months, for a game that sold a thousand copies, you don't get 
that much feedback. I do sometimes go onto Board Game Geek to see, hey, have people made any comments? And I care a lot more about the comments than the ratings because people can rate something 5 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 or whatever for all sorts of reasons. And some people... But when I see people playing it, when I was demoing it, once it was in people's hands... It always went down well at conventions, and I was really lovely to see that. When I started seeing people making what I thought were, this sounds terrible, obviously bad choices, it made me really happy because I was like, yeah, of, of course those are obviously bad to me because I've seen hundreds and hundreds of games. And so it shows that maybe after a few more games, then they're going to start playing a little bit better and then after a few more games, start playing a little bit better and there is a little bit to learn, which is exactly what you want. You don't want people to be playing completely optimally on the first game because then there'd be nothing to learn. I used to do um, 2 p.m. events back when there were conventions and I will do this again. And... UK Games Expo 2019, which was such a good time for me. And we had this Kitty Cataclysm tournament and there were about, I want to say, 14 people playing at once on different tables. And then I started doing commentary and someone else was doing commentary. Like we had everyone playing about, I don't know, maybe five games. And then at the end, I was like, okay, here are the top five players. They will play an elimination thing and these are the finalists and then the top person gets all these prizes and then people are just enjoying it and having so much fun and everyone who'd been knocked out was looking at the game and trying to cheer on someone that they'd played against or in one case I think there might have been you know some family <laughs> so obviously they were cheering on their family member but it, I, I think it's a nice atmosphere and that's the thing about the game. Once it's out there, you never know for sure how it's doing. Because it but I heard people enjoy it and I would love to do a second edition, especially because Antoinette Mason, who's Board Game Inquisition, did a great review where they said, Oh, a couple of the card effects maybe are slightly imbalanced. So I asked for what exactly they meant and they basically said that two of the cards, rather than costing three, should, I mean, rather than giving you two points, or two Meowny, I should say, they get sh they gave you three Meowny, and Antoinette felt like two Meowny was the correct number. And I discussed this with a friend, David Brain, we pondered this, and I thought, you know what's actually... One of them you're right on. The other one, we still want to keep that drama. We still want to have a card that's worth three. But that's the thing that I would change. And then I thought, okay, actually, for a second edition, I would increase this little tweak. And I would. I worked in Drafts, which is a board game cafe, for a month ages ago. I think this was 2019. I worked there just for December, partially to pick up some extra money, partially because I thought it would be fun being part of this board game cafe, until I realized that I kind of needed more time off even just to go to conventions because I yeah, had a day where I was finishing up at 11 p.m. 
And then I was needing to get up at 5 a.m. the next day to go to a convention. And I don't blame them because it's not like they forced me into work at 5 a.m. But I really should have asked for the Friday off as well. And then at the point where I'm asking for too many days off a week, it's not worth their time to have me on, if you know what I mean. But anyway, I was working in this board game cafe and I realized how important the box is, how important it is to have the name of the game on all four sides, or at least two of the four sides. These little things that you don't necessarily realize as a self-publisher until you see your game and think, wait a minute, on this shelf, people are seeing these other games, but yes, I'm proud of the cover that it's got literally hundreds of cats all put together in a kind of collage and it's all was drawn on one big sheet of paper like a poster and then if you get the game then there's a superfluous sheet of paper where some people color that in but it it looks nice as a kind of okay it's different but in terms of advertising itself it's really rubbish and i really really would like to at some point when I have the energy, do a second edition and hopefully get it out into some more mainstream shops and give it a little bit more love. Fingers crossed. Oh, that's great. So looking back on your experience, what was your favorite part of the journey and what was the most challenging part? I think my favourite part was, <laughs> am I allowed to say after it's been published, just of course. seeing people engage with it. And that's just, that's just my favourite bit. When you see other people, and sometimes it's not even people that you've taught specifically, sometimes it's even people who come back to you and say, hey, I'm really enjoying this, or you walk into a room and you find out that people are playing it without even being cajoled by you, which is fantastic. Or busting it out as a real thing on your kitchen table and saying, okay, now would you like to play one of these other games? And then people say, oh no, can we play Kitty Cataclysm a couple more times? And it's not just because you made it, it's because they're really enjoying it. And yeah, I think that being able to share it with people at conventions, at shops, whatever, that is definitely my favourite part of game design in general, just knowing that I facilitated some fun for people. And I think for me, it's kind of like another way to connect with other humans, not just with playing board games around the table, but making something that maybe I never hear about the fun they have, but you've got to trust that they are having fun, um, even when you don't hear about it. And my least favorite part, um, I'm going to say honestly yeah just what i mentioned about having this delay where i felt bad about not having sent it to people that was a bit of a shame and but the rest of it the actual playtesting i love that sharing it with people i love that drawing once i've started doing it i enjoy that it's just a case of getting myself into the frame of mind to do these things and getting it done. And then eventually once it's done, it's like, yay. 
And while I'm actually in the process, I'm enjoying it. It's when I'm not in the process and I need to do things. That's the worst bit. <laughs> I get that when I look at my to-do list. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. oh. And so for all the designers that are listening to this, could you offer one piece of advice? I would say don't be afraid to make something different. Don't be afraid to be you. Because, yeah, when it came to my first game in a bind or yogi, it, it was like I was afraid to make a physical game. And when it came to this game, I was kind of afraid to make it as catty and take that as it could possibly be. And you shouldn't need permission. You shouldn't need to have someone say, hey, whatever you want to do is okay. But yeah, if you want to make a game that's about, I don't know, dinosaur poop, then make a game about dinosaur poop. Just follow your weird idiosyncratic ideas if you want to make a game about literally burning things or candles or i mean of course Valchats and spiel shadows in the forest exist but just we can have so many more i mean not every game has to be a strategic thing i mean i love strategic things i really love energy empire but i love puzzles i love thinking about okay how can things work out in the future but just Whatever weird idea you have, if you're worried about it, just make it the weirdest, most extreme example of that thing that it can be, because games can be pushed so much further than they currently have been. That's great. Uh, what a wonderful um word to end on. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed Inspiration to Publication Episode 19, Kitty Cataclysm. Thank you again, Bez, for joining us. Such a joy to talk with you today. For anyone who is looking to find where you can be reached, could you share your information? For sure. And I want to say thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to speak with both of you and i want to say yeah just it's just such a lovely podcast i've enjoyed all the things and keep up the great work anyway oh, if thanks. people want to find me it, i am stuffed by bears basically everywhere on twitter.com slash stuff by bears that's s-t-u-f-f-b-y-b-e-z instagram.com slash stuff by bears stuff by bears.com and on board game geek i'm stuffed by bears um, and facebook.com slash things by bears but you can also search for stuff by bears and you'll find me but back in the day they didn't let you have the f and the b next to each other and i need to get on the case and change the name because apparently you can change your page name but i haven't quite worked out how that's great thanks guys <laughs> uh and this is your host denise you can find me on twitter at year 23 and then your other host, Danielle, you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, on Twitter at Creative DMR, and on Instagram as Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time. <laughs>